Hello and welcome to the Brazil Institute podcast, a production of the World Royal Sun International Center for Scholars. I'm your host, Bruna Santos, and in this episode, I am joined by Clara Becker, who is a journalist and co-founder of Redes Cordiais, Social World Networks, a nonprofit organization in Brazil created to fight disinformation and fake news, training digital influencers on how to identify and fight disinformation in social media. We will discuss how this information is affecting Brazil's election process and how can we fight the battle of fake news in the public sphere. So, Clara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Bruna. So, Clara, my first question is, we had four years to prepare for this election after the election in 2018. And we can say that today the country has more professional fact-checkers. We see that uh, social media platforms are building literally war rooms to monitor fake news. And because of initiatives just like Hedges Gorgias, the one you created, we see more and more influencers engaged in the battle against misinformation and disinformation. But still, we have a huge number of fake news circulating all over social media and digital platforms. In Brazil. So how different is 2022 from when compared to 2018? So Bruna, a short but incomplete answer to that question would say that in terms of content, in the 2018 elections, the disinformation campaign was dominated by fake news linked to moral and gender issues. And this year, the electoral system itself and democratic institutions are the main targets. So uh, in 2018, we saw false claims that baby bottles with penis-shaped nipples had been distributed in daycare centers by the Workers' Party or rumors that presidential candidates by then, uh, Fernando Haddad, would create a gay kit to indoctrinate uh, children and uh, also an avalanche of manipulated images linking the left-wing candidates to communism. And this strategy gave space in 2022 to unfounded complaints about the fairness and the integrity of our, our electoral system, especially false claims on frauds involving our electronic voting machines, uh, but also conspiracy theories about uh, mainstream media and polls and rumors that the former President Lula will close churches if elected. So this is a simple answer, and it would be entirely true if we were considering only the first round of the elections. But uh, something uh, curious this year is we have, uh, we have clearly two different moments, and it's before and after the first round. So the, tr the tricky thing is that this scenario changed uh, quite a lot the past uh, couple of weeks, uh, as the first round shows showed that the polls had in fact underestimated Bolsonaro's voters. Uh, the countries were divided than what was foreseen, and Bolsonaro's supporters saw themselves closer to a victory, and Lula's supporters became desperate with a higher chance of a defeat. And that was when things started to get uh, a lot much nastier. And uh, and if in the first round we were mainly seeing attacks to democratic institutions, the second round, the moral and religious fake news we saw in 2018 came back uh, strongly. 
but with the novelty that for the first time the Brazilian left wing actually adopted this information as a necessary campaign strategy which uh, should be used which is being used as a weapon to uh, by the conservatives they are using it as well just a last quick remark uh, regarding the format of the disinformation that changed as well in 2018 we had mainly memes and manipulated images circulating in in whatsapp And this year we have more videos circulating, uh, links inside the, that or embedded videos inside uh, WhatsApp as well. And this makes things more complicated because they are much harder to fact check since uh, the fact checkers sometimes have, have uh, to watch like a two, three hour live show to check one false allegation. And should YouTube remove an entire video because it has a 30 second uh, Uh, false allegation claim. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, in this election we saw a number of um, fake news with um, religious appeals, right? As you mentioned, we saw accusation of Satanism, cannibalism, and but I would um, and but we saw as well that those strategies and are we seen both campaigns, but what's different? in terms of strategies and tactics from Lula to Bolsonaro? So actually, I really find that in terms of format and content, they don't differ a lot. We are now under a religious war, as you said, with both sides trying to disseminate moral panic by questioning the real Christianity of the candidates, uh, trying to link them with non-Christian religions and practice, uh, religions and practices, and uh, even with the devil himself, uh, and also including claims that Lula and Bolsonaro are Satanists, cannibals, pedophiles, all those kinds of things. You can see that from both sides right now. But uh, what is happening is that part of the Workers' Party supporters understand that this is the kind of language that communicates well with the people. And the truth be told, it's a strategy that has clearly been working for their opponents for the last years. So some people do defend that in this war of narratives, every weapon to take an anti-democratic candidate from power can and should be used. And uh, what they do differ a lot is, is on like a methodology and capillarity and experience because Bolsonaro's digital strategy is very organized. It's, they've, they've been doing that for quite a while now. They have thousands of groups on Telegram, WhatsApp. They have a central command. So they really have methodology and capillarity and organization, this know-how. And this is an entirely new field and the strategy for Lula's supporters, so they are not uh, as professional as Bolsonaro's supporters. And what's your opinion on the Supreme Court um, fake news inquiry, which has been in place since 2019, and how it's been conducted? And also I wanted to hear your thoughts about how Brazil's electoral court is acting during the campaign, especially after the recent resolution that granted itself to the court the power to moderate content? There are two different questions, and they both have uh, many layers. So uh, let's start with the inquiry. Uh, first of all, uh, countries worldwide are struggling on this matter. It's uh, 
who gets to decide what is true or false? Definitely not the government. We are seeing authoritarian countries that have criminalized the spread of fake news only to use it as another form of censorship and to threaten journalists. And Brazil is a recent democracy. It wasn't that long ago that we lived under censorship. Uh, the judicial system actually also isn't skilled to decide on that matter, actually. They're not, uh, uh, the judges, they don't have the skills to do uh, uh, verify information online. That's definitely so something they don't learn in law school. And uh, so could a pool of fact checkers decide whether information is true or false? Uh, don't believe that would work either. So that's a problem with the worldwide and uh, with no solution so far. But that said, I believe that, yes, the state has to investigate and to asphyxiate financially criminal disinformation networks that are acting to manipulate the public opinion and election results. There's quite a lot of investment and profit with false content, and the follow-the-money strategy seems to be a, a good one. And uh, last but no least, in the first question, uh, the inquiry on the digital militias was born in a non-convenient judicial, judicial way. It was the Supreme Court itself that ordered the start of the investigation. And that's different from a regular law case that starts from lower instances and makes its way up until it reaches the Supreme Court for a final decision. So it is a form of a judicial activism to show that the judicial system has powers and tools to counterattack uh, Bolsonaro's attacks against the electoral system. The tricky part is how far on authoritarian measures you can go to defend democracy, because you can't be anti-democratic to, to fight anti-democracy. And uh, on uh, your second question, uh, the role of TSE, our Supreme Electoral Court, and uh, on the social media fighting uh, hate, hate speech and uh, fake news, I think that since, as, as you have said also in the beginning, the TSE has improved a lot uh, its fight against disinformation. We are, uh, we are better prepared, uh, no doubt, than we were in 2018. And uh, Tessier has uh, been playing an important and positive role in the maintenance of the fairness of the democratic race. In the past years, it has signed uh, cooperation agreements with fact-checking agencies and tech companies to, campaign, to contain uh, the spread of fake news that could jeopardize the legitimacy of the, of the Brazilian electoral process. It also has institutionalized a program to counter this information uh, Hedge Cordiais is one of the projects, there are all, almost a hundred uh, initiatives that are, have partnered with, uh, with TSE right now, with our Supreme Electoral Court. And these were important steps. However, uh, as you said, the last Thursday, uh, the Supreme Electoral Court granted Alexandre de Moraes, who is now the president, we, every two years, we change the presidency uh, of the Supreme Electoral Court. And now, Alexandre de Moraes, he is the nation's uh, election chief. And uh, so he was granted a unilateral superpower to order the immediate removal of content that he believes has violated previous takedown orders. So now, uh, in practice, social networks must comply with those demands within two hours 
or face the potential suspension of their services in Brazil. And this is quite questionable move because it makes no sense to use censorship to defend democracy again. And uh, and this is a, a, this what's at stake right now. When you give one person a superpower like this, uh, it comes with a big risk. And uh, what is worse is that it has been fueling uh, Bolsonaro supporters with more arguments that the court has a pro-Lula bias and that the electoral race uh, isn't balanced. And uh, so, uh, so it was quite a risky move, I would say. Uh, it can backfire. Absolutely. Uh, I want to hear your general opinion about the role of another player in this, which are the companies, the social media platforms how they are fighting hate speech and fake news and how they performed in this past um, campaign. What's your, what's your take on this? Uh, I think that the, the, the platforms, the tech companies, they are doing. Uh, it's not that they're not uh, trying. I think they are trying. They are collaborating with the Supreme Electoral Court, for instance. And uh, we even have the Telegram case, which, which was quite a... a very interesting case because it was the only social network uh, company that wasn't uh, collaborating with the Supreme Electoral Court. And again, Alexandre de Moraes, who is a hard, uh, uh, hard judge on this, these cases, and he takes uh, hard measures. Uh, he, he actually, he, he, after years with other judges trying to make Telegram cooperate, Uh, he simply said, "Okay, if you don't do this, you're you're not being you can't operate anymore in Brazil." And uh, finally, they are now cooperating. So actually, it did work. His uh, hardened uh, strategy it did work. Uh, so they have all uh, you can see Meta's uh, social platforms. They have the third party fact checking. They try to. Uh, monitor and reduce uh, the visibility of uh, the fake news that, that are, are going on. And, but of course, they could be more transparent than they are, especially on, uh, on the ads and uh, who is putting money and who is being targeted, who is boosting what. That's something in the algorithms. That, that's something important that researchers should have more information on that so that we could study more and, uh, and get uh, uh, to, to think on, on better solutions. So actually, they could be more transparent. They could offer open more data than what they're doing right now but uh, there, there have been progress because of this they were pressured by the governments and especially the supreme electoral court and, and they have been collaborating uh, much more than what they did in the past on your final remarks uh what do you think are we gonna be better in a better place in four years in four years, another presidential election, you think you're going to be better in terms of navigating truth and lies and how to fight disinformation? What do you expect? I'm optimistic. There was a time in Brazil where the electoral race wasn't fair at all, and we got a load in, in television, and we got a, 
load more better on that and we did improve and make it uh, until we made it really fair and now everything changed but i think we can get there they're really uh uh important uh, not important but uh, uh many people involved in thinking about this so uh so i believe we will uh, we will have see some progress in that area even though it's not uh, it's not obvious it's really hard i've been studying it uh, for for quite a, a while now and sometimes you, you get a bit uh, desperate and you see no light in the end of the tunnel but sometimes <laughs> you think uh, we are we are going to get there but uh, the thing is and uh, i personally think that uh, disinformation is a symptom of a polarized society not the cause although it does contribute to further divide societies and uh, we have many researches that now shows that partisan polarization is the primary motivation behind uh, political fake news sharing. So obviously we have to strengthen journalism. We have to continue to invest in fact checking and algorithms and bots. And uh, we have to think more on how to regulate content moderation uh, we have to continue demanding more transparency and uh, information and data from the tech companies. And all of this is part of the solution. But the thing is that none of this alone will solve the problem. You see, uh, any action that seeks to solve, and I think we will only get some progress on this uh, on the disinformation problem, if we have a multidisciplinary approach. And on this approach, we can't exclude the human nature from the equation. The humans, we have an innate tendency to engage with polarizing issues. So if, if we don't take this into account, we're doomed to failure. So I, tru I truly believe that media literacy and other initiatives that build bridges to fill in the misperception gaps between opposing parties, they have a very important role in the fight against disinformation. And unfortunately, uh, they're not, uh, they're underestimated as uh, their potential is underestimated as a part of the solution. I totally agree with you, Clara. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Bruna, it was a pleasure. The Brazil Institute podcast is produced and edited by Oscar Cruz. To learn more, visit our website, www.wilsoncenter.org/brazil. Until next time, thanks for listening.